0: we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, And I think in the midst of a year of chaos, the midst of a year of confusion, a year like this, it is very valuable for us to go back to the basics, to us to go back to to some of the foundation. So we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments. So pop quiz for you. How many of you think you know all ten Ten Commandments? Anybody? I've got these down. Zero. First service, we had four people raise their hands, and they were all wrong. Uh, none of them knew them, or at least not able to do it on the spot. So unfortunately, I don't get to put any of you on the spot second service. You're lucky you didn't raise your hand, right? Uh, here's the reality. We, we fight for these things, right? We fight for these to be hung in a courtroom. We fight for, for the culture to value these, and yet oftentimes we as Christians don't. And I don't think it's wrong for us to fight for them to be hung in a courtroom, but I think it's tragic that we don't know them. And so what we're going to do over the next 10 weeks is we're going to learn the Ten Commandments. We're going to get this down. And for some of us, it may just be a refresher. You may have memorized them as a kid and, and you've forgotten. And for some of us, maybe we've never taken the time to do that. But I don't just want you to memorize them. I want you to understand them. I want you to understand how they apply to us today. So we're going to do something uh, a little basic, back to the basics. We're going to stand up and we're going to read the Ten Commandments every week. Why? Because none of them, none of us know them, right? So we're going to get them down. So if you would, would you stand up with me and just get used to this because we're going to do it. And if you're watching at home, you're not off the hook. Get off the couch, lazy. You're in your pajamas. You were. The rest of us are jealous of you. You can still stand up, right? We're going to stand up. We're going to say these together. And obviously these are uh, the modern NIV wording. I don't care if you memorize them in the King James or the NIV or the ESV or the whatever V, right? Uh, My my concern is not the wording of them. My concern is that we understand them. What, What is God asking of us? What are God's expectations? So for the next 10 weeks, we're gonna say these out loud. And as we do, we're gonna believe that they're gonna settle in our hearts and that we're gonna get a hold of this. So would you say it with me? Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not... Make idols number three You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God number four Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy number five honor your father and your mother number six You shall not murder number seven. You shall not commit adultery number eight You shall not steal number nine. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor number ten You shall not covet. Father God, we ask you this morning that you would help these commands to settle in our heart, God. Not just that we would be able to memorize them and quote them, God, but that they would empower us to live the best life you've created us for, God. To to honor these requests, these expectations that you have for us. God, we ask that as we talk about the first commandment today that you would speak to us directly and boldly and strong, Father God, that we'd grab a hold of this and that you truly would be number one in each of our lives. We thank you for for your word and the chance to understand what it means. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. You guys can grab a seat. We're going back to the basics. And as we go back to the basics, I think it's very important. I think one thing that I missed as as I grew up, I was I was a church kid. Uh, my parents kept me in church for as long as I can remember. I've, I was blessed to grow up in church and be in children's church. And uh, I remember being in a, uh, a play, like a, I don't know, I was probably seven or eight years old about the Ten Commandments, right? We memorized the Ten Commandments. We sang them. Like, I've, I've heard this stuff my whole life. We watched the movies, Prince of Egypt, and uh, uh, man, I've even seen like the Charlton Heston one, which is a little bit before my time. Some of you, uh, maybe it was your time. Uh, we, we've seen this stuff for forever, but one thing that I think is is often disconnected from the Ten Commandments is the New Testament. And when we read the Old Testament, whether it's the Ten Commandments or anything else, we have to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, We have to read it through the understanding of the gospel, and so I'm going to do something maybe a little unexpected, but we're not going to start today with Exodus 20 and the Old Testament. We're actually going to start with the New Testament, because I think we have to have the the New Testament understanding before we get to the Old Testament. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus did not come to invalidate the, the law. He came to illuminate the law. In other words, he came to give us a better understanding of what it meant, that in the Old Testament, they had a piece, they had a picture of what God wanted, but they didn't understand the whole thing. And so Jesus comes, and he's the missing piece. He fills out the puzzle, and so he illuminates the Old Testament for us. So we're going to start with Jesus. So imagine with me, if you will, that you are living 2,000 years ago in Israel, that Jesus is, is making his way across the countryside, and he comes to your town. And Jesus is, is this amazing figure in this day and age, in your generation, and yet he's incredibly accessible. He has conversations regularly with just normal people. I don't know how many of you are political junkies, and you're following the presidential election, but this week we had... Each of the presidential candidates had a a town hall, right? Where they had a chance for some regular people to ask them questions. And of course, because it's politics, they filled it with not regular people and they planted political operatives and all the nonsense that goes on in American politics, right? Thankfully, that didn't happen 2,000 years ago in Israel. But there were some people who were looking to trap Jesus and trick Jesus. And we're actually gonna see one of those conversations that somebody had the chance to ask Jesus a question. But, But I wonder what you would ask Jesus if you had the chance. Many times we've maybe asked the question this way, what will you ask Jesus when you get to heaven, right? Like we look forward to that. And and then growing up, I'm like, what happened to all the dinosaurs, right? Like very important questions that affect our lives deeply. Uh, I think when I get to heaven, dinosaurs probably won't be as significant as I thought they would be when I was a kid. I think there's going to be more significant things uh, when I get a chance to see Jesus face to face. But what would you ask him if you had the chance? Maybe a question about suffering. Maybe a question about someone who you loved, who passed away. Like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? All of us would have different questions for Jesus. Well, we're going to see a religious leader get his opportunity get his chance to sit down face-to-face with this great rabbi, with this teacher, with the Son of God, and ask him a question. And we're gonna look at the account from Matthew chapter 22, but this is actually such a significant passage, such a significant moment. It's recorded for us also in Luke chapter 10 and Mark chapter 12. So we see it three different times uh, in scripture. We're gonna read Matthew's account. And it starts for us in verse 34. It says this. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sages The Sadducees were a group of religious leaders uh, who believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, but they rejected what we call the resurrection of the dead. In other words, they believed when you died, you died. There's no afterlife. Uh, And so they had come to Jesus and tried to disprove him, and Jesus had shut them down. Jesus, as he so often did, had this amazing response, and so he had defeated the Sadducees. He silenced them. So now the Pharisees, who are this competing rival religious leader group, and the Pharisees, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in eternal life. Uh, So now it's their turn. And so it says the Pharisees got together. They huddled up. You can picture this almost like family feud, right? The one side missed, and they got the F. And so now the other side, they're huddling up. What are we going to give? What question are we going to present to Jesus? It says they got together, one of them an expert in the law. So he obviously didn't go to city church, right? He memorized the Ten Commandments very early. He knew them all, frontwards and backwards. He's a little further along than we are. Not only did he know the Ten Commandments, he actually knew all five books of the Old Testament had them memorized, He could quote and recite, not the five books of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament. He could quote them. He was an expert in the law. He knew them down to the very detail. And so he comes to Jesus and tested Jesus with this question. He says, teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? If, if I only have to live up to one command, if I can only live up to one of them, which one would you pick? If you are familiar, the, the Old Testament has somewhere in the neighborhood of 613 laws. And the reason I say somewhere in the neighborhood is some of the statements you could say this is one law or this is two laws and different people rank them differently. So the number may come out different depending on who's listing them, but there's a lot of laws in the Old Testament, right? And so out of all 613, which one's most important, Jesus? Verse 37, Jesus replies, and he says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, we just read the Ten Commandments, and that wasn't the first commandment, was it? The first commandment is that we would have no other gods before him. So when Jesus says this is the first commandment, he's not saying it's first on the list, the one that pops up before the others. He's saying it's the most important right? He's saying it's the most significant. This is the one on on the gold medal stand at the Olympics, right? If you put all the commandments together, this is the one that emerges as the victorious one, the preeminent one, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, and all of our soul. First and greatest commandment. He says the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, he says all the law, 613 laws in the Old Testament, and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you take the Old Testament and you distill it down to its simplest form, this is what you get. Love God vertically, love people horizontally. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably have some concept of this. You probably have some understanding of this. In fact, if I'd have asked you for the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment, you might have been able to quote those. Two is a little bit easier than ten, right? We might have been able to nail that or at least get a little bit closer. So he says, all of it hangs on these two things. This is the essence of the Old Testament. And so, if we take those 10 commands if you go ahead and put that slide back up for us we can look uh at the list through that lens all of them are summed up by these two commands the ones in yellow are the first command the ones in white hang on the second command you shall have no other gods before me it's vertical right you shall make no idols make no graven images vertical has to do with my relationship with god shall not take the lord the name of your lord thy god in vain Vertical has to do with my relationship with God honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy vertical has to do with my relationship with God then it shifts now it goes horizontal honor your father and your mother thou shalt not murder thou shalt not steal thou shalt not nope what a skip Commit adultery, that's right. Uh, That's an important one, right? (laughs) Shall not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit false or have false testimony against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet. So, all those are horizontal, while the first four are vertical. Most of you probably know this or have some idea of it, but I think it's so important that we look at this list through the lens of the Old Testament. So, Let's look at the first commandment, Exodus chapter 20. Let's dig into it just a little bit. The first commandment says this, starts with these words, and God spoke all these words. So we know that this actually came out of God's mouth. By the way, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God breathed. It all came out of his mouth, right? And it's useful for teaching, correcting, training, and rebuking in righteousness. So it's useful for all of these things for us. So it comes out of God's mouth, but actually tells us elsewhere that God actually wrote the commands as well. So you probably know the story. Moses goes up on the mountaintop on Mount Sinai. The rest of the Israelites are gathered around the mountain and commanded not to touch the mountain. And Moses is told to go out and carve these two stone tablets to, to, to get these things ready. And so he goes up, and God somehow writes these on the tablets. Now, I don't know how curious you are when you read the Bible or you come to a biblical story, but I get real curious. I wish I could be a, like a fly on Mount Sinai, right, and see this, because I want to know, how does God write Did God's finger come down and actually carve this with his finger? Did he break out a chisel? Did God just speak and the words appeared on the on the tablets? We don't know. We know God spoke and God wrote and it happened somehow. I wish I could be there. Now, I know it's easy to say I wish I could be there. The reality is had I been there, I would have died, right? So I guess it's good that I wasn't there. Thank you, God, for sparing me. Uh, But I would love to see... How that I, maybe a bird, right? So then I'm not touching the mountain so I could see what's going on without actually dying. I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's how I read scripture. I, I think through, man, how does this really happen? I, I want to know how God does the things he does. That's not important or he would have told us, right? What is important is God spoke all of this. It came directly from the mouth of God. And then check out what verse two says. Verse two says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, out of Egypt, out of the land, Of slavery. As God starts the Ten Commandments, you know what the Ten Commandments starts with? Not with the command, not with the requirement. The Ten Commandments begins with the reminder of God's goodness. Did you know that? I didn't. Before I started studying for this series, I could not have told you that the Ten Commandments doesn't start with a command. The Ten Commandments starts with a reminder of what God has done. What is Exodus 20, verse 2? It's a picture of the gospel. You see, God rescuing the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt is a picture of what God has done for us spiritually. He's rescued us from slavery to sin. He's brought us out of darkness into light. He's brought us into freedom. And so before God gets to his expectations for us, before he starts asking for something from us, he tells us something he's done for us. I think this is massive. I think we approach the Ten Commandments so often from the wrong perspective because we start with the list. We start with the checklist. We start with a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. I'm supposed to do all this, but the Ten Commandments doesn't start Start with me. The Ten Commandments starts with him. You hear what I'm saying? Do you understand what the, the change this brings to our perspective? Is the Ten Commandments starts with telling us this is who God is and what God has done for us, and so because of what God has done for me, now He's asking some stuff from me. See, it doesn't begin with my works. It doesn't begin with my action. It doesn't begin with me trying to to. A, Get his acceptance or his approval, it begins with God doing something for me. And that's a completely different thing than what I always thought about the Ten Commandments and probably what you ever thought about them. So we get to verse 3, the very first one. He says this. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, for us in 2020, this probably looks a little different than it looked for the Israelites 3,000 years ago when he wrote this. See, 3,000 years ago when God gave this command, the Israelites had just come out of slavery in Egypt. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. And you know what else was in Egypt? Polytheism. Egypt was a place where they worshipped Tons and tons and tons of gods. They had Ra, the sun god. They had Isis, the goddess of fertility. They had all of these different gods and goddesses that they worshipped on a daily basis and the Israelites were surrounded by this. And so when God says you shall have no other gods before me, he's saying you're not going to worship me and Ra. You're not going to worship me and Isis. You're not going to worship me and Molech who's in the land of Canaan which you're about to go back to who demands child sacrifice. You're not going to worship me and Baal. You're not going to worship me and Asherah. You're not going to get to a place where where the harvest is poor and say, okay, I'm going to go worship this fertility God and hope that the harvest gets better. You're not going to go in, in, in a time when it's raining so much and you need some sun and worship the sun God. You're going to choose me and only me because I am the God of the sun. I am the God of the fertility. I am the God of the sea. I am the God of the morning and of the night and of the planets and the stars. I am the only God. So he says, you choose me And no one else. Now for you and I, that's not really difficult, right? For most of us, and perhaps not all, but for most of us, we didn't wake up this morning with the debate, am I going to go worship Jesus or am I going to worship Allah? Right? Most of us didn't wrestle with that question. Most of us didn't wrestle, am I going to worship Jesus or am I going to worship Vishnu? Am I going to worship Jesus, or am I going to worship Baal? Most of us didn't have that debate or that question this morning. There are places on earth where people do wrestle with that question. There there, there are places, even here in America, where people have that difficulty. But most of us in this room, we've probably never even really wrestled with that question, or at least not very deeply. For us, this is not so much an external command as it is an internal one. You see, we may not wrestle with which God am I going to worship, but we wrestle with is God going to be God in my life? Am I going to give him his place as number one, or am I going to let something compete with it? And for us, the competition is probably not named Molech, but the competition may be named Pornography. For us, the competition probably isn't named Baal, but the competition might be named Money. For us, the competition probably isn't named Vishnu, but the competition is named a relationship. Or it might be named my kids. It might be named pleasure. It might be named this habit, right? Like for us, the competition isn't so much this other God that I would actually bow down and worship, but it's this other thing that I would give too great of a place in my life. And so for us, I believe commandment number one looks a lot different than it did 3,000 years ago, but it's just as important. Because for us, this is an internal question rather than an external one. See, 3,000 years ago when this command was given, everybody probably knew if they were living this one out or not, right? And in fact, you probably know the story, but while Moses is receiving these commandments, they're down there violating rule number one. As this is happening, they're worshiping a golden calf, right? They they are giving this one, like they miss it from the very beginning, which I think is kind of hilarious because that's us, right? Like we blow it from the start. We give our life to Jesus and it doesn't take very long for us to miss the mark, just like it didn't take them very long. But the question this morning is what in your life has too much of a hold on your heart, one in your life it has been given a place greater than it deserves or it belongs? And the reason why we can live up to, to commandment number one is this. Remember, he starts not with the command, but a reminder of what he's done. What does the, the, the New Testament say? In 1 John, it tells us this, that we love God, why? Because he first loved us. Again, we read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. We love God because God first loved us. And so we're able to do this not because of our goodness, not not because of my righteousness. I'm able to do this because of God's righteousness. Because God loved me enough to save me, to rescue me, to deliver me. But not only that, he loved me enough to send his presence, his Holy Spirit to live in me and now empower me. To live for him. There's a confession, a catechism that I think is, is very beautiful. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. And part of it says this. They would memorize this and quote this and teach their kids this. It says that I rightly know the only true God, trust him alone, and look to God for every good thing humbly and patiently. And love, fear, and honor God with all my heart. In short, that I give up anything rather than go against God's will in any way. How do I honor the first commandment that I'd have no other gods before him? Can sum it up with that last sentence that I give up anything rather than go against God's will in any way. How do you know if you're honoring the first commandment? Is there anything that you're choosing over God's will? That's tough. Because the reality is that for all of us, there's some things that come up that present themselves as more important than God's will, as more immediate than God's will. Maybe it's a sin struggle. Maybe it's a financial pull. Maybe it's a relationship that we know isn't healthy for us or isn't good for us. Maybe it's a habit. But for all of us, we have this opportunity, this choice. Am I going to choose God's way or am I going to choose my way? How do I know if I'm honoring the first commandment? That I'd give up anything rather than choose something that prevents me from God's will and God's best in my life. Let's be real. Most of us have some room for improvement on the first commandment. Most of us need to look into the word of God and see our reflection. That's what it is. It operates like a mirror and say, you know what? I'm missing it on this, and I'm going to allow the love of God, the reminder of what he's done for me to inspire me and challenge me and encourage me and convict me to submit once again to his best and to his will. How do we do that? Well, it starts with remembering this. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift, everyone is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, if it's outside of God's will, it's not a good and perfect gift, right? If, if it's something that God doesn't want for me, if it's something that I, I'm, it's clear, man, this isn't something I'm supposed to pursue. It's not going to bring good things into my life. It might be pleasurable for a moment. I might enjoy it for a season, but where's it going to lead? To destruction to disappointment, to discouragement, to emptiness. It's not going to lead to a good place. But everything that comes from the Father is a good and perfect thing that comes from the Father of heavenly lights. And it says he does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, he's the same God as he was 3,000 years ago on Mount Sinai. We have a greater understanding of him now, a greater picture of his love for us. They didn't know how much he loved them back then, even though he'd done some pretty awesome stuff for them already, right? They had seen him do miraculous things. They'd seen him deliver them from Egypt and send plagues against their enemies. They'd seen him part the Red Sea and bring them across it. They'd seen him give them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to follow him. They'd seen him provide food for them, manna from heaven every morning. They'd seen God do some pretty awesome stuff, which again, there's a part of me I wish I could. go back there and see all that. But you know what they didn't see? They didn't see Jesus. They didn't see how much God really loved them. We've got a greater understanding of who God is because we have the cross and a greater understanding of what God wants from us because we have the salvation that comes from Christ. How do we live this stuff out? We look at the cross. If you wonder today how much God loves you, Look at what Jesus did for you. He died to set you free. If you wonder this morning if God accepts you, look back to what Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished. In other words, there's no checklist. You don't have to go get all 10 of these commandments right for God to love you and accept you and approve you and use you. God accepts you right where you're at. Not because of your goodness, but when he sees you, you know what God sees? He sees the blood of Jesus. Jesus. He sees the goodness of his son. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've chosen him as your Lord and Savior, God doesn't look down and see the list of commandments that you're off on. He doesn't look down and say, uh, sorry, Misty didn't memorize the Ten Commandments. She's out. Right? Aren't you glad for that? We would be in trouble. This church would be struggling if we had to have it all memorized for God to love us. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. Hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, right? If you wonder about who God is, if you wonder about whether God wants to be in relationship to you, look at how much Jesus went through to tear the veil, to make it possible for you to have access to his presence. He's already done it. He's already won it. And so the Ten Commandments are not now a checklist for us to struggle to live up to and hope that we can one day accomplish. The Ten Commandments for us are a a picture, a vision statement, this is where God is calling us to. This is what he is compelling us towards. This is how I want you to love me passionately and love others deeply. This is a way for you to live this out. I've given you the greatest commandment to love me with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. I've given you the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And now I've given you the 10 commandments to give you some more detail on how to do it. And I've given you this other 613 commandments to give you a lot of detail about how to do it. It's right? What's he doing? He's illuminating who Jesus is. He's helping us to understand his desire for us. Luke 9 23 puts it this way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If you're struggling to live up to that today, then you're probably not walking in the greatness of the first commandment. If there's some areas where, man, I just haven't been taking up my cross lately. I've just been eking my way through. My my love for God has been mediocre. It's been flat. It's been lukewarm. If that's you this morning, God isn't sitting here mad at you. God isn't sending lightning to strike you. God is not angry with you. God's saying, I got something better. There's, there, there, there's some lack of fulfillment in your life this morning. I know it. There's some lack of joy in your life this morning. I know it. There's some frustration in your life this morning. And you know what that is? That's a sign that you don't have as much of me as I want you to have. That's a sign that I don't have as much of you as I've designed for me to have. And if you'll open up for me to have the rest of it. If you'll get back to that place where you once were or get to that place you've never been. Where I have your full heart. You're gonna discover joy like you've never understood. You know, the Bible says that in the presence of Jesus, there is fullness of joy. You ever experienced fullness of joy? That's a beautiful thing. You know, one day we're going to be in heaven and we're not going to worry about questions about dinosaurs. Why? Because we're going to have fullness of joy, right? That stuff's probably going to go out the window. Here's what I actually think is going to happen. The Bible says one day we're going to know in full. I think when we get there, we're not going to have to answer the question because it's just going to make sense. Like he's going to make that knowledge available to us, but we're not going to worry about all that other stuff because we're going to have full joy in the presence of Jesus. That's an awesome, awesome thing. Bible compels us it asks us to have no other gods before him. But before he asks us to have no other gods before him, he reminds us, I'm the Lord your God. I'm Yahweh. And I'm the God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. I'm the one who brought you out of darkness and brought you to light. Jesus only asks us to do something for him after he's done everything for us. He gives us his very best before he ever asks for anything from us. And that's the amazing thing about the God that we serve. So would you do this with me? Would you stand as we get ready to close in prayer? And as I pray, I'm going to ask you to, to go before God. And I'm going to ask you to offer him your heart. And I'm going to ask you to, to, to ask him something maybe a little scary. But I want you to ask him, God, is there any aspect of my heart that I'm holding back from you? Is there any piece of my life where I'm not honoring the first command? Where I've given something more control? more more importance, more priority than it deserves. And that something might be a relationship. It might be my kids. It might be a job. It might be a habit. It might be pleasure, right? Like I may be worshiping something else. And I'm probably not bowing down before it. I'm probably not lifting up its name in song. But if it has more of my heart than he does or as much of my heart as he does, then it doesn't belong. See, God doesn't ask us for Perfection but he does ask us for wholeheartedness. And if my heart is 50% his today, then it's actually 0%. It's either all or it's nothing. And so if it's not all today, today's a chance to make it right. As we pray, I encourage you to, to repent. What is repentance? Repentance is acknowledgement of sin. God, I've blown it. And it's a commitment to change directions. As I'm turning away from my sin, I'm taking up my cross and I'm following Jesus. And the amazing thing about that is it's daily, right? We all miss this. We all get off on this. If you're here today and you're not wholeheartedly serving him, I'm not here to put you down. We're not here to guilt you or shame you. We're here to tell you God's got something better. He's got fullness of joy in store for you. He's got fulfillment like you've never experienced. He's got a future like you've never seen. It's not all going to be perfect. It's not all going to be easy, but it is going to be wonderful as you walk in relationship.